Great. Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch. This is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars to help horse people understand more about how to take care of their horse and some of the things that isn't generally talked about. I have some fantastic guests on my webinar, so be sure to sign up on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel to get a notice every time I put up a webinar. And also you can always join my email list at murdochmethod.com so that you get an email every Sunday listing the guests I'm gonna have for the week. This week I added Rebecca, so she wasn't on the calendar originally. So it was a kind of a surprise guest. So it's really important to sign up for that email and somebody just tried to get into the webinar now. Anyway, thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining me again. It's such a pleasure to have you back. Hey guys, I finally upgraded. I got a Surefoot cup too. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had something a little stronger than water in it, but uh, I don't think you guys want to listen to me if I've had anything to drink. <laughs> All so right. Rebecca, just for those who have not watched your previous webinars, which this is number four, and as I said, I'm going to make a playlist so that people can find them really easily on the channel. Um, just give everybody a little bit of your background and what uh, the your badge says there on your shirt, and so we know, yes. Where uh, technical large animal emergency rescue. So we do training for veterinarians and horse owners and firefighters, emergency responders of all types in how to get animals out of all the actually pretty god awful places they end up in. Um, you know, it's the old thing about pe horse people say I need bubble wrap on my horse. And that's true. But today's presentation is going to be a little bit by how do they end up in those places and why maybe it might be hiding in plain sight. There may be something in your barn. Um, or your facility that you're not seeing with the kind of eyes that I see. And that's what I do when I go to people's facilities and, and, and they're like, oh, I want to show you my horses. And I go, um, let me show you some of the things you might want to pay attention to. I sometimes see things because I've seen the awful things um, a little bit different than other people do. And you have a doctoral degree. So, so what is that? So I got a, a PhD in animal physiology, many <clears throat> last century. <clears throat> Anyway, uh, and basically my interest has always been in behavior and uh, the physiology of how some of these things kind of happen. And these days, my research is more into the stuff that's related to large animal rescue, like um, how do animals react to these kinds of situations. Um, so the behavior stuff is all sort of combined in, in that kind of thing. Great. If you just tilt your screen up just a tiny bit because your head's cut off. Oh, don't there cut my head off. Better. <laughs> there we go. All, All right. right. And so your other webinars, we've talked about trailer safety. We've talked about barn fires and large animal first... rescue. Yeah. Yep. yep. And so today we're going to talk about what? Okay. Let me share my screen and we will talk about. Can you see my screen? Uh, yep. And I got somebody else trying to get in the webinar. So while you're getting that started, I'm just going to go and get them in. Okay. So today we're going to talk about the hiding in plain sight dangers around horse facilities, the kinds of things that I see. And uh, I will give you my contact information at the end. You're welcome um, at the end. Uh, but if you've got pictures or say, hey, uh, does my place look like it's got some problems? Just send me a picture. Uh, don't get easily offended, though, because um, I'm perfectly honest and you may not like what I say. <laughs> no, that's okay. Anyway. I sent you pictures of my, my trailer hook hookup, yes. you know, and that yes. was great. So, yes. um, nope, I really appreciate it. It's amazing how many times it's something simple like that that people just don't don't see. So we're going to try to laugh. Um, I try not to say anything too offensive. Sometimes it's difficult ideas for people. Um, there's lots of different people on your webinars that keep horses in different ways. Uh, the graphic photos, there's two at the very end, and I will try to warn you. I've got a slide that says graphic photos. So I'm trying not to, to scare anybody. Um, but we want to have a little fun with this and have lots of questions. Write your questions down as we go through and we'll answer them at the end. So, yep. And you can put your questions in the chat in the Q&A and then I can go back and read them. Even better because she helps me with all keeping all that stuff. Yep. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the humble stall latch. You know, something that we take totally for granted when we put an animal into a, a stall. And, you know, what are the dangers of something so simple? It's just a little piece of metal. Um, uh, if you talk to veterinarians, they'll tell you that they see these kinds of injuries all the time where a horse is trying to go into or out of the stall and that little piece of metal is sticking out and catches their hip or their stifle um, and can cause a pretty nasty laceration. So, of course, you know, nobody likes those kind of things. 
But the other problem is some horses are really smart and they'll get out. And when they get out, they do all the dumb things that horses do, which is get into the feed bins or get out and run out down the road or let their friends out. There's some really cool videos on YouTube of, of Houdini horses getting out and then letting all their friends out. So, but for me, from what I do, I also worry about that firefighters don't know how to open them. And I know that sounds crazy, but when you have, if any of you have ever been to a barn, and you know, you say, hey, your friend says, hey, go down there and get that horse in the second stall. And you go down there and you go, uh, how do I get him out? And it, I'm sure most of you have done that at one point or another. And it's because there's so many different kinds of latches and some are safer than others, but the biggest problem is there's no standardization. And I'm not saying that we need to standardize as an industry, but I will say that you probably should standardize inside your barn. Um, you know, how you do these kind of things can be really difficult for other people. And when a firefighter walks into your barn, this is what they start doing. So this is actually a video of three firefighters. Uh, over the stall door and fire the halter. And so they're putting the halter on Goldie over there, but then they gotta find the stall door. That video was taken in the dark. And what we do is we use fake smoke and there's actually horses in those stalls. And of course, these guys have on all their gear. We're doing a training situation, but it took uh, from the time they walked in to the time they got the first horse out was 12 minutes. Wow. 12 minutes. And about a minute of that was trying to figure out where was the little latch thingy? Because sometimes a latch is something simple to lift. Sometimes it slides. Sometimes the door slides. Sometimes the door opens into you, into the stall or out towards you. Um, all these different things so part of what we're going to talk about today too is getting your local fire department to come out and be familiar with your facility and that sounds like a ridiculous simple thing but you'd be amazed so i encourage you guys to take a piece of of um, something and block your vision and or go into your barn at night and uh, try to figure out how to open the stalls because that's basically what these guys are doing they don't have a lot of room to be able to see. We've darkened it up. There's fake smoke in there. The only reason you can see them is through that infrared. And it's very frustrating. And the horses were actually going, hey, I'm right here. Can you get me? Come get me. Um, it's very, very, very frustrating. So 12 minutes, as we've talked about before, Wendy, is way too long to try yeah. to get animals out of the whole barn. It's going to be in, engulfed in flames at that point. So we don't want to be in that situation. So... Something as simple as a stall latch, how do we make it safer? Uh, part of that may be, um, I walk in lots of barns and they haven't done maintenance on their on their stall latches. So some of them don't slide very well. You sort of got to mess with them. They're not easy to, to manipulate. Um, reflective markings are really nice. This happens to be a fancy stall and it's got the one that's in the middle of the door. But think about it. If you're a firefighter and you've never seen one of these, you would have no idea that you're supposed to lift that to try to slide the door back. So Something as simple as this, just teach your firefighters, hey, this is what it looks like. Put a little reflective tape on it. They'll be able to find it, lift it, and that increases the chances of anybody being able to get an animal out of that stall. So, started with something simple. So now something, uh, fixing and replacing those isn't that expensive. But, you know, Wendy, uh, I don't know about you, but fencing is always expensive. Uh, with COVID, it seems like it's even more expensive now that everybody- Oh, the prices, yeah, are just skyrocketing. Oh. Yeah, I was just getting ready to fin finish a piece of fence and I went to Lowe's, it was about June last year. And I was like, where's all the lumber? They were like, we don't have any. I was like, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So one of the things that we do in lots of, of horse facilities is we have square corners in uh, fencing. And it's very difficult and expensive to make round corners and triangular corners in everything. But anywhere where horses tend to congregate near gates or in corners close to where they're going to be released to go eat, those kind of things, really can, can become dangerous um, places because horses slam into fences, they get pinned into the corner by another horse, they end up flipped over, all those kinds of things. And this is just examples. These horses all survive these situations, but you can imagine they're going to have some injuries and it's very stressful for the animals in these kinds of situations. So what I like to do is to think about how could we make it less square, particularly like the bottom picture. This is at my facility. 
And I had the problem of horses coming to the gate here waiting to go to feed. And so what I did was I just squared, instead of having the squared off corner, I put in a triangular corner. And what I found is that prevents horses from getting pinned into the corner by a, a more dominant horse and bitten or kicked and those kind of things. Now, what's funny is I fixed the corner and then a tree fell on my stupid gate. So it's like, what happened to your gate? <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, it's always something. So, uh, you know, the, the upper picture is a really nice example of, you know, if you can't do that, if you still got to keep it square, at least make it easier for them to see where the fence is, less possible to get trapped into it, uh, particularly if you've got a gate or a high travel area there. So if, take a look around your facility, anywhere where horses are congregating, you might want to think about taking those square corners out um, because, you know, you can't blame a horse. If you've got a more dominant horse biting your butt, they try to go over the fence. And that's when we really get our injuries, um, especially if it's uh, inappropriate fencing. So th these are just some examples of different kinds of fencing where people have either rounded it off or tried to use a, a more triangular thing. As you can imagine, you have to be really good with your gate posts on the corners you, to be able to keep the rest of the fence nice and tight. Uh, you got to use bigger gate posts and those kind of things. Your fencing people should be able to help you. Um, but th that's just, you know, it's not an inexpensive thing to do, but it, if it saves you a vet bill, it may be a little bit um, worth it. Now, so, um, yeah, can ahead. I ask a question about, about the corners? Yeah. Um, like we use electric fence because we have to keep the horses off the fence. So could you just angle across with your electric? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you need to do it not just at the top because horses, uh, I tried that many years ago when I was younger and dumber. I just put a piece across there and then I had a horse come underneath it grazing, raise his head, panic when he hit his ears and run forward. Now he's trapped in the corner between the electric and here. Fortunately, I saw it. I turned off the fence. I was able to cut the fence and get him out of there. But I was thinking, oh, my God, I'm such an idiot. You know, that's that's just experience. So if you're going to do that, put two or three layers of it so he can't accidentally have his head underneath the, the electric. Good, qu good question. Um, or you could just put some boards across there, whatever works, just to try to keep him out of that corner. Uh, I did a, a consult on a barn up in Atlanta a couple of years ago. And they had a very steep, like triangular corner like this. And all we had to do was go in and just cut that off and uh, let the grass grow up here. You know, who cares? Um, anyway, I don't know what it is. We're always worried about using every single square centimeter. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So the next thing we talked about stall latches. Let's talk about gate latches. Uh, we use these all the time. We walk through them. We don't even think about them. Personally, Wendy, I cannot stand crappy gates. I can't stand them when they have to be dragged. I can't stand them when you have to have a chain and sit there and fiddle and all those kind of things. Uh, I, I tell friends, you know, they go, oh my God, I love your gate because it swings and it goes cha-chunk. And I say, yep. And that took me about an hour to get it just right. But guess what? That hour, it leads to much bliss in the future. Okay. Part of the reason here is Yes, they can have injuries if they run into these kinds of things, but the biggest thing is if they get loose and the whole herd goes to the road. That's what I really worry about. So loose horses, from my perspective, is a big thing. But I will tell you that if you have um, unhappy employees fix your gate, um, they will become much happier very quickly because there's nothing more frustrating than trying to hold a horse, get in through a gate one-handed, and it got to pick it up, and it drags, and uh, it's just awful. So why do I worry so much about loose horses? Um, they can get people killed. Okay. So it's not just, I love horses. I don't want my horses to get injured or killed, but I also don't want people to get killed. And as the owner, you are financially responsible. The people will take you to, uh, they will have a lawyer on you. There, there's all kinds of bad things for this. Every single state has in the United States and other countries too have laws for East Ray horses. Um, Eastray is the fancy name for our loose horse. And uh, you cannot afford to have these kind of things happen. The one on the right happened in Atlanta a few years ago. They were very fortunate. These horses got out, they were going towards the interstate and somehow they managed to ca catch every single horse. You can see that they're leading them back up a four lane highway, which I don't know how they did this. I mean, I, I was like, wow, most horses, you can't even catch and lead, much less lead down the interstate, much less lead with traffic. <laughs> but they got away with it. 
And uh, thank goodness nobody got hurt and none of the horses got hurt. But that's what you're really worried about. Um, and how do we prevent those kind of things? You know, you can also prevent doing fine. I actually was working this one in my county and uh, this person had a couple of horses that got loose and they actually went in the road. And that is the police officer who is giving her a ticket um, for having her horses loose. And of course, this was not the first time that that had happened. So um, many jurisdictions take it very seriously uh, for animal welfare as well as for human welfare. It's not just about you. It's about the people that may um, hit this horse, especially if it's in the dark. This was during the daytime, so it's a little easier. So how do we back up our gate latches? Um, it really comes down to having secondary fencing. Uh, that may not, you know, secondary fencing usually means, you know, you have your fence around your horses and then you have a second fence around your place. And for a lot of people that becomes ridiculously expensive. And I understand that. But if you can't do that, at least get a driveway gate. Now, if you get a driveway gate, people go, oh my goodness, I don't want to have to get out and open, close it every time. Wendy, when I bought my place, the first thing I did was I spent a couple hundred bucks on a really nice opener and gate closure. And let me tell you, there is nothing finer on the planet than to pull in when it's raining and lightning and everything else. And you go, bing, and the gate <laughs> opens. It's like magic. And every five years, I have to put a new car battery on it. And it cost me, I don't know, about 80 bucks. And guess what? It's well worth that 80 bucks. So consider those kind of things. You guys take a look at it. Um, at the very least, uh, you should have some signage up. I thought this was a funny sign. Please close the gate, loose horses. That's like um, predicting. I don't know. <laughs> We're going to have loose horses. Anyway, um, but think about your signage, making sure that all your, anybody that comes to your farm knows, always shut the gate, no matter what. If you go through the gate, shut the gate. If you go through it with a mower, shut the gate. Because those loose horses that got out in Atlanta, what happened? The guy was mowing. He forgot to close the gate. That's how they got out. And then, of course, this is where we come into large animal rescue is how do we have a plan for dealing with those loose horses? First of all, uh, everybody wants to catch them, but they're pretty easy to catch if they're good horses uh, with things like having a couple of halters and maybe some feed. Um, but you got to practice your plan. And if you've got a person that shows up that's got a lot of energy in their body and they're going to do what they saw on TV and chase horses, or yee-haw them or try to rope them, you're never gonna catch those horses. So you really gotta think about what is my backup plan? Um, having some feed, having the, I, I like to have those things. I always have a rope in my truck because I never know. I've actually come upon loose animals in the, in the middle of the road before and I was able to catch them. I am going to tell you right now, that's my husband with my horses on the left, okay? Ah. So it happens to everybody. That's my TLAR sign right in front of my property, right? So somebody, I had them out in the pasture, I mean, out in the yard, and they were grazing. One of us didn't close the gate. How does it take when before a horse sees that the gate is open? Yeah, not uh, long. <laughs> yeah, 1.2 seconds, right? So we saw them starting to run for the road. One took off. The rest of them boiled down the thing. Fortunately, I have a large verge there, and they were just grazing on the verge. So one of us grabbed some halters, one of us grabbed some feed, and we went out there, and they came to the feed. Thank goodness. Okay. But, um, you know, you got to know how to catch your own horses. And if well, most people and, don't have that much verge out in front of their place. I'm wondering, like, I get to practice catching my horses because I, they have a routine typically, but sometimes they don't honor the routine. Mm -hmm. And then I have to catch them because the grass is nicer around the barn than in, than, but there is something to be said for practicing catching your horses and finding out what it's going to take. Absolutely. That's, that is a really good thing and the, the thing is if you practice you know which horse is the easiest to catch right and people say well if i don't catch the top horse you know the most dominant horse the other ones won't follow oh yes they will i mean you start walking with a feed bucket and you've got him on a halter and you start feeding him everybody else is like hey i want that and they'll follow you so we have found that i mean even my husband back then he didn't have a lot of horse horse skill and he was able to catch him so uh, the, the bottom picture is, you know, under desperate situations, we do use some things called portable fencing. This just happens to be a loose horse that Animal Control called me and said, hey, there's this stallion, of course, loose out on the dirt road. And we use the portable fencing to be able to catch him. But really, the way we caught him was we had a, a bucket of feed. He came to the bucket of feed, and then we enclosed him with the portable fencing. 
Portable fencing works great for tame horses. It does not work well for feral horses or um, cattle if you're trying to, to really catch them. But you can still use it to guide him off the road. You can use it to get him in somebody's backyard or some safer place than being out in the middle of the road. And the last thing, if you do have to do these kind of things, somebody needs to be watching for traffic because people, when they're driving, they just don't pay attention. They don't notice the animals in the road. They won't notice people in the road. So you may want to turn your flashers on. You may want to think about maybe throwing a cone out, calling 911. Um, I know there's a lot of people that are afraid that if they call 911, they're going to get a charge or a fee or something. You're not. Please call 911. They can send a deputy out there. He can put his flashers on to slow people down and give you a better chance to try to uh, catch your horses. And worst case, if you've already caught him by the time he gets there, you say, thank you very much, sir, for your service and wave and leave. You know, that's it. It's always better if you're doing anything on the road to call 911 and tell them what's going on. Uh, the well, other thing that you can do prevention wise is let them know that you have horses in case horses get out, they can call you. <laughs> well, I was going to say, and the other thing, if you have a local Facebook group, like we have something here in my county and when my horses got loose a couple of years ago, they were all looking in the woods. They had gone across the street, down a driveway to a man's house. We would have never found them. And he posted well, on the thing Facebook. is. Their, his grass was obviously had not had equine lips on it. That's the thing. <laughs> I mean, there was just not a direction we would have even begun to look for these guys. Right? Fantastic. Very good point. Very good point. Okay. So I will admit that a good latch, um, which is the crucial thing to all this, is not easy or cheap to install. It's not cheap to put in an extra gate and secondary fencing and all those kind of things. Um, but I will tell you that it, gives me a lot of, um, when I close that gate at night, I know that I've got two gates between them and the road and it makes me sleep better at night. So for some people, um, that is, it's worth that couple hundred bucks to do those kind of things. And if you hire somebody to put, to do these things, I love these sure latches. They are fantastic. You can get the ones that open one way or two ways. And, uh, is that the red one? Yeah, they're not cheap, but man, I love them. Once they're installed correctly, you just let the gate go and it goes cha-chunk and it's closed. I love it. So just take a look at those kind of things. Okay, and I'll, I'll send you the, I, did, I should have put the name on there anyway. Uh, next thing, uh, I am sort of um, ridiculously uh, passionate about this one. Uh, bungee ties are to me an excuse for people not teaching their horse to tie. Um, there are so many, anecdotal stories. It's hard to get pictures. I've got a couple of pictures, um, but I have met a veterinarian who lost an eye uh, while she was in vet school from a bungee tie. I have met several people who have had their horse's eye taken out because of a bungee tie. It's just not worth it. All that has to happen is for them to panic or they put their face down too far and put their foot over the bungee, which they can do. <laughs> The problem for a bungee is I actually have one in my collection of bad things. I have a bungee that the, the person attached their horse in the first stall of a four horse trailer. The horse panicked and was able to back all the way out of the trailer and was still attached. Thank goodness the bungee broke at the horse's face and went flying back into the trailer. Um, they can store up to 26,000 pounds depending on the variety of bungee, um, of force. So you can imagine, Wendy, if the clip breaks at the other end and snaps back, it hits you or the horse with so much force, it's not even funny. Um, lacerations of the face, lacerations of the body, it's absolutely awful because now you've got a little piece of metal that comes flying back at that speed and just takes that eye out. So Wow, please. why isn't that more commonly... I mean, you go to every single website, you can buy a stupid bungee. I don't know why it is. I've been telling people, cut them, burn them, throw them away, tell your friends. Um, I've got to, you know, if you don't believe me, Rick Wallace, you know, he's had four horses and stuff. That's the bungee that got his horse in the middle picture. Um, it, it, you know, the horse panicked and spooked in the cross ties. The thing busted and you can see where it busted. It busted right at the stitching. Yep. And then the, quote, panic snap, which 
I want to remind everybody that the panic snap that people are used to being able to just pull that sleeve down in the picture on the right, a panic snap requires opposable thumbs. You a horse can't work it. So eventually when it flew out, it hit this horse in the eye and, you know, four-star horse. So please cut those things up. They, you know, people make all kinds of excuses for bungees. Um, if you really want to entertain yourself, type in bungee cord injury into Google. And what you will find is all the people at home that are strapping things onto their vehicle and stuff like that. Um, the, the statistics for eye injuries are just horrific. Yeah, there's somebody just said that the doctor told me the most eye injuries he treats are from bungee cords for people. Mm -hmm. Yep. Wow. Bungee cords and people that don't use glasses when they're weed eating. Those are the two big ones. Yep. It's wow. awful. So uh, we got to spread that out, Wendy. That's 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 where okay, it starts. Well, yep. Wow. Ooh. So here's, uh, you know, horses with eye injuries, horses with lacerations, a person with a laceration. I don't have any really good ones of people. That's of okay. Horses, you know. <laughs> But, uh, you know, those are the kinds of things that you got to do. So always use a weak link. So when we talk about weak links, uh, what's the best thing? I go in lots of barns and they have sisal twine, you know, the hay string. It's perfect because it'll hold up to about 150 pounds. But if something really panics and jerks, it'll pop. The polypropylene twine, it will also break. But it takes about two or three times the force that it takes to, to use the sisal twine, the, the native twine. So, you know, this horse, he's in a trailer on just a lead rope. People don't realize lead ropes, uh, the, the blue um, nylon there, that's about a 4,000 pound working load, which means you basically have to cut it to get that thing off of him. It's never going to release. The horse is down. He's in a goofy angle inside the trailer for whatever reason. And now he can't get his head and that that thing is cutting up into his eye as well. So put something in the link, especially at the trailer end, put a piece of twine. And that way, if he panics, that breaks. And then he's sitting there with a short lead rope on and his halter. And then, especially in trailer situations on the side of the road, at least you have a short lead rope to be able to help him with. And, you know, he can get up at that point. So what is your bungee removal plan? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, anything where you can use some rope, uh, a safety tie, something. I tell people, I see them in bungees in cross ties. I see them in trailer ties. There's just a couple of pi pictures here. One is the sisal rope on the left. In the middle is something called a safety tie. It's just a little piece of plastic. And you can actually um, change the amount of force that you want. The, that little red thing is uh, you can change the amount of force in it. Uh, they're called equine pings or safety ties. And then the other one's just a piece of cheap rope from, from Lowe's or whatever. Put a weak link in the system. And that way, if he panics, he can get himself loose. And people say, well, he's going to learn to fight the, the pressure. Well, it's better than having a horse that, uh, that is, it has a, uh, loses an eye or gets severely injured. So. so Somebody's asking about blocker ties. Oh, I like them. I like them. Just don't get your finger in them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't get your finger in them. That's where people get in trouble is they're going to put it through the blocker tie. And if you get your finger too tight on the rope and the horse jerk just at the wrong time, it'll drag your finger into the blocker tie. That is not a good situation. No. But, you know, that's like with anything else. Anything else you're doing with your horse, if he does it at the wrong time, he can really hurt you. Yeah. And somebody's saying like halters uh, with a leather breakaway for like in the trailer. Yes. Yes. So if you're going to put him out in the, if you just got to have a halter on him and he's out in the pasture, yes, a breakaway halter. The problem with breakaway halters in horse trailers is if he has an emergency or you have a crash and for whatever reason that halter breaks away, now he's loose in the, in the trailer on the side of the road and you may need to get him out of there. I don't like unloading horses on the side of the road, but if you had to, and that's why I like to have the weak link in there because now he pulls he still has a halter on, he has a short lead rope on, and at least you can get a hold of him and hold him on the side of the road, which is not somewhere anyone wants to be, but under duress, at least you don't have to go trying to find uh, another halter. Okay, so let's talk about, again, this is stuff that we see all the time, and we look at these the bottom picture there, and we go, oh my god, that's such a beautiful entrance, and I'm like, what's the number? Well, the number is 632. 
how am I supposed to see that? And, you know, most places, Wendy, that have horses are rural. And I know some are suburban, but most are rural. And GPS is not what we think it is. And if your fire department is trying to find you for either a medical emergency or a barn fire or potentially some other issue, um, and they can't find you in the dark, uh, you lose minutes. In our fire departments here locally, we often send a person to go find the place first and flag everybody down, say, hey, it's this way. And the reason that's important is, for example, this is down in Ocala, but um, there's horse farm and horse farm and horse farm. And you don't know which one of those driveways is the correct driveway unless you can actually see it. So, for example, this guy, he's got a little reflective sign here. That little reflective sign is the only thing I can even slightly see. This one doesn't have anything in the dark. You can't see anything. So this is what I want. I want a reflective sign where I can see it in the dark at all times of day or night. If you live where there's snow, you need to post it up higher on the post so that they can actually see it in the dark, clear the weeds out from it, those kind of things. Because if they can drive down the road at 45 miles an hour and see your address sign, then you increase the chances of the time. Um, it's a function of time. You make it quicker for them to get there. And at that point, you know, for some people, they have the barn entrance and then they have the house entrance. If your house is on fire and they pull up to the barn, that doesn't do you much good. You're gonna lose time or the other way around. So make it very obvious, you know, where the address is. Um, and you wanna, of course, make it accessible. So what do I mean by accessible? So, you know, in the daytime, uh, <laughs> I think they're gonna find that fire on the left, okay? But the one at night, uh, people think, oh, you know, it's so bright and it's all those things, but you can see that fire from other roads. So you go, well, which driveway is it, you know? And that's the problem, is the fire department is probably gonna be looking for the address to try to figure out which one is um, the actual address they go into. And if you have multiple accesses to your property, you need to make sure which one, this is for the barn, have a big sign with the address that says barn, and then the other one that says hay shed or uh, my house or whatever. Make it obvious. Can which you actually have reflective signs made i know like i have a reflective sign for my house that i got when they had a fire department I, I i don't even remember there was a notice you could get your number correct but, um but if you have a split driveway like that can you get a reflective that says burn you call your fire department and they will tell you where to get them or you can google them and get them yourself either way uh, many fire departments use them for fundraiser they're about 20 bucks something like that to get the letters on you want to be able to see it from both ways of the road um, so that is the most effective thing to be able to get <laughs> your mother-in-law. If you're trying to hide her, you know, don't put your reflective sign out there. But otherwise, everybody else, okay? <laughs> they can find your facility. Okay. Um, so this is one example of what I was trying to show of this is a fire and how do you know where it is? Because you could see that fire from all those different roads around the area where's the actual driveway to the barn um, when you take a look at it from up above they actually had a pretty nice layout once you get there um, it would be pretty easy but it's getting there in the first place that makes it diff difficult some of those ideas as you guys are looking around with new eyes and think about how do i get the fire department here where are they going to turn around um, is there any separation between my hay shed and my horse barn and all those kinds of things and if you um, want some more about the barn fires, Wendy already, we already did that. Yeah, we did that about barn fires. It'll be on that playlist. So when you're talking about getting the fire department there in the first place, while we're talking about accessibility, you got to remember that the trucks start out about 45,000 pounds. And in some places they're 80 or 90,000 pounds. So they can't drive down this pretty little driveway with little peach trees. Um, they need something that's nice and tall and nice and wide to get that truck through. And if you have culverts or bridges or those kinds of things on your facility, you need to take a serious look at that. Can I get a fire truck there? What's the best way to do that? Call your fire department. Say, hey, I, I'm, I just got, I learned about this and I want to make sure that my driveway is accessible. How could I make this more effective? I need some reflective signs. I need those kind of things because you don't want to drop a fire truck on your driveway, I promise. 
No, so that's scary just to, this is my driveway. When I first got here, I hadn't thought about those things. And I had these beautiful oak trees and they leaned across the driveway. And in the top picture, those brown things that are big piles back there, that's my branches of my trees because oh. I had them come out, trim all my trees, took a whole bunch. I think I took 17 trees down and then trimmed up a bunch of branches because I realized, hey, you know, they wouldn't be able to get to my house and those kind of things. Um, and then, of course, in, in rural areas, we tend not to have hydrants. Um, that's a separate issue. But while you're thinking about accessibility, ask the fire department, where's the closest hydrant to here? How would I get water to my facility if we actually had to uh, fight a fire here or those kind of things? And um, they'll have the answers for that. So all that goes back to accessibility. So now let's talk about rear ends. You know, I like talking about horse rear ends, but most of the time when I'm talking about rear ends, I'm talking about trailers. <laughs> and uh, this is one example. You know, it's a gray trailer. It's got two, those little round things are LED lights. That's it. So guess what? If the lights don't work because the little thingy didn't push into the little thingy just right, or you turn too hard and you ranked on it, guess what? There's nothing back there. And if you're driving in the dark, nobody can see you. It's a gray trailer. It's absolutely the worst color you could possibly have. So you need some reflective on there, you know, because your lights don't always work. Um, things can block things. So you want to make sure that you are easily seen by anybody coming up behind you. And this is why. So uh, this gal, she sent me some growth. This one actually took the ramp off of hers and still went into the trailer a little bit. Uh, I also have a ramp and doors on my um, big trailer for the same reason. It provides a little bit more support. You got to remember these aluminum trailers don't have a lot of, of bulkhead in the back. So if you get hit by somebody tagged in the, in the back, that horse that's in the back of the trailer um, really takes a chance. Uh, Wendy, you probably saw the one that's the Jen Hughes photo up at the top left. It went sort of viral a few years ago. She was out on I-5 in California and she got tagged by that truck. And, you know, there was a big viral thing that comes around every couple of years on, on Facebook, you know, stay off of my butt on my trailers and everything else. And I'm thinking that was in the fog, which is sort of common out there. And that truck hit about 10 or 15 miles an hour. So what was the one thing that could have made that truck realize that you were there a little bit sooner, that extra second or the extra two seconds that it takes? And that is putting more reflective on the back of your trailer. Um, these are all the examples. I've got hundreds of examples of trailers that have been rear-ended by various things. And some of them are funny and some of them are horrific. Yeah. Um, so and reflective tape is not expensive. It's easy to apply. Um, that's exactly right. You know, that's the one on the left is my trailer and I don't have my lights on. Uh, the one on the right is one of my students who went to my presentation and then she sent me pictures of her trailer afterwards. And I was like, yay. It's, it's like you said, it, the problem for the trailer manufacturers is it's just expensive enough that they don't want to have to spend, you know, you know, what a dollar a foot times that's probably a hundred feet of tape on each one. So that's an extra hundred bucks. If you're selling trailers, you don't want to spend an extra hundred bucks. And so if you look at most trailers, if you pull up behind your trailer tonight, you guys, get in your car, drive up behind your trailer, turn your lights on. Can you see the damn thing? That's what I'm really asking. And I find that for most trailers, you can't. So it's pretty simple. Like she said, it's pretty cheap. The one on the left is beforehand. And the one afterwards, uh, she went and just got some DOT tape. She didn't go crazy on hers. She's just got a little bit at the top, a little bit at the bottom. I do encourage you to put it on the side, particularly if you're driving a big living quarter. When you go to cross traffic to the left, as you turn across, if there's even a little bit of a hill, people can't see the DOT tape at the bottom of your trailer. But you're, if you have it on the top, they'll be able to see it as you're making that turn. Again, it's all about giving that extra, that other driver, a couple of seconds of, hey, something's coming across in front of me. So you can Google the DOT regulations if you want, but I'll just tell you, put some red and white DOT conspicuous, it's hard to say, conspicuosity tape. Oh, is that what it's called? <laughs> yes, that's what it's called. It's no wonder it's hard the conspicuousness, yes. And there's all kinds of rules, but for most people, like my trailer, it started to fall off after about 10 years because the tape, you know, the, the adhesive only lasts so long. 
So put some tape on there. If you've got old tape, rip it off of there and put some new tape on. Um, and it, you know, you don't have to have my driveway. When I pull up my driveway, you know, it lights up like a like a Christmas tree. But uh, I just want you to be safe, and I want you to be safe out on the road. And don't forget. Also do the inside of your back trailer doors. God forbid you have to unload something on the side of the road for whatever reason, you want to make sure that they can see that your trailer is there if you're pulled off on the side of the road. So uh, Reflective Pro, they, they have quite a few different things, but you can Google. There's plenty of other resources for those kinds of, uh, of things. I sent you a picture of my trailer after we did it. Yes. Yes. Okay, so <laughs> the next one, we're going to sort of get into a little bit of large animal rescue stuff and what's, you know, what's wrong with a pretty pond in the pasture. I don't have a, I have a pond for both of my big pastures. I have ponds in mine too. But what I've done is I've tried to limit where they can go to a controlled area. And then what I did was I made it safer for them. So I didn't want the edges of my pond destroyed. I brought in some sand and some gravel to make it so that they couldn't totally destroy uh, the edges of my pond. And that totally depends on where you live, how easy that is to do. But I will tell you, if you choose a place that the animals can go in and drink and play and those kind of things, it makes it much safer um, because surface ice and mud rescue is not a lot of fun and it's really dangerous. And there's many fire departments that don't have enough training in this stuff to actually help your horse. So be very, very careful about that. And then of course, it's also the right thing to do because the riparian zone, which is the area right next to the water to the land, um, when that starts to get eroded, it really destroys your property value in many in many ways. And uh, it's the right thing to do for the environment. There's a lot of things that live right there in that riparian zone. So give them a place that they can access, fence off the rest of it, and be done with it. For example, this happens to be one on the left. That's a, a horse and surface ice. Uh, up north further than us normally is where they have these problems. But in the southeast, every once in a while, Wendy, we get you know, 20 degrees for a week. And um, we end up with these kinds of situations where the horses are down there pawing. Now we've got ice. Now it's slippery. This horse just slipped on the ice and now he's down and he can't get back up. Um, and this is a pretty simple rescue in this particular case, but many of those kind of rescues are not. And the biggest problem is when do you notice them? If he's out there all night long in that kind of situation, he can actually die of exposure that kind of situation. And actually the one on the right is one we did last night. Oh and no. <laughs> locally, I got a phone call last night and we went over and this is a 30 year old horse. Her name is Lucy. And uh, sure enough, she's a little bit older and she had leaned down, I guess, to get some water. She actually, the funny thing is she actually has a beach where the horses normally go into, but for whatever reason, the horse doodled around, tried to get some water, fell over into the water, and this was a pretty steep bank. So we actually had to do a sideways drag to get her out. Um, it's not ridiculously difficult to do those kind of things. But of course, she noticed it almost immediately after it happened. Um, if you don't notice it, 30-year-old horse, if she'd been there overnight, we wouldn't have been pulling a live horse out of there. So um, that's where these kinds of muddy situations can really be, be stressful and dangerous. So anyway. So how do we make it safer? If you live up where it gets cold every single year and your water in your ponds freezes over, I recommend fencing it off and coming up with a water source somewhere else. Put some temporary electric around it or whatever you got to do to keep them out of it. Because sadly, horses and cattle and uh, even wild animals like elk and stuff, there's always pictures of large groups of them that go out into the middle of the pond. They're standing on the ice. They don't realize how many are there. Next thing you know, they all go through. And sometimes we see horrific situations with three or four horses that went out on the surface of the ice, they slip in, nobody notices, or it's middle of the night, and next thing you know, they've all drowned. And it's, it's just awful. If you're going to choose to make uh, access points, make it sandy, make a very, um, uh, not a very steep angle, because the steeper you make it, the more that they paw and they, they claw the, the, the footing away, make some stable footing and prevent them from going in the other places. And then of course, I would love it if you talk to your local fire department and said, hey, do you know how to do mud rescue for horses? Do you know anything about surface ice rescue? Do we have the equipment to do those kinds of things? And in many cases, you'll find that they don't have that. And it makes sense because they just don't see it very often. But uh, you need to know if you have that kind of equipment available to your area. That's actually my husband 
Wendy, I'm very fortunate I have a husband that rides. So there you go. Okay. Let's talk about the gilded cage. So many, many people, for many good reasons, um, keep their animals in stalls. And I know that's a discussion that we could have outside of this, but um, I will tell you that veterinarians and um, many practitioners of body work and everything else, they are always worried about musculoskeletal health and make sure the animals get plenty of exercise and respiratory concerns. And my biggest concern is the behavioral health. You know, when I see animals that are, that are doing all the crazy things that they do when they've been inside too much. So it really means they want out. And I can prove it to you because we do our general rescue and we have to deal with horses that try to get out whether you like it or not. So there you go. This is the kinds of things that we have to deal with. You know, they people say, oh, I like that big scoop, you know, or I want to be able my horse to hang over his head and all those things. And I go, yeah, that's great until they go out. And those apparently are not jumping horses. So... <laughs> We were doing a training one time out uh, a couple of years ago in Oregon, and a girlfriend had a Mustang, and uh, he's great. We were using him for slings and doing all the stuff with him. She just shoved him in one of the stalls that was available for just a minute while we were doing something else, and all of a sudden we heard, tadunk, and he just jumped out, and he made it all the way out, thank goodness. But, you know, these horses are apparently not jumping horses, so... As you can imagine, actually, what's funny, Wendy, is when they're in this situation, they're usually pretty calm because there's a lot of pressure on that abdomen. So they'll struggle a little bit. And then most of them, if they can't wiggle much, they'll sort of wait. So the reason that's dangerous for you as a person is if you walk up and you get them a little excited, then they're going to struggle. They may knock you with your head. They may do lots of things. So to me, get some nice hay, give them some hay. If you have to hang a hay bag there and have a person hold it, great. Keep them calm, call for some help. You're probably going to need 911 unless you have uh, people to help you that are quick to get there. Um, I like to bring a buddy horse, uh, whoever is his buddy is, so he'll tend to keep a little bit calmer and then call 911 and your vet and get some help. If a horse does this, you're going to need your vet. If he's been there for 15 minutes or if he's been there for five hours, you're going to need a vet because there's a lot of structures in the stifle and his abdomen with this much pressure that probably, especially if it's a stallion, um, he can really have some uh, problems. So you want to have the vet to take a look at him, um, even if you if you think you got him out with no problems. So somebody's uh, here, asking the question that I have is, how did you get those horses out of there? Uh, the easiest way is if you have pins on the doors that you can remove easily. Most um, of these doors and stuff aren't built that way. Once the weight of the horse is on the door, you can't pull the pin. You have to pick the door up. So the easiest way usually is to get a sling on underneath him, lift him slightly, and then pull those pins. Or you just take the door apart with cutting it, those kind of things. But uh, that's why you're going to need the fire department because the options are different for every single kind of door. Right. I really like to have the vet there because I'd really have, love to have that horse stand there nice and calm with a little bit of chemistry. Um, but again, it's a time thing. Um, uh, I don't want him to be there too long. That's what they're doing here is they're trying to figure out what is the infrastructure in this barn that we could use to just get a little bit of help with a sling to be able to lift it. You've got the vet there and she's giving the animals some, some chemistry. Um, they had, I don't know if you can see in the one on the right, they actually put a pallet underneath her. So she raised it up a little bit. In some cases, really nice, calm horses. I've seen where people have palleted the front and the back with a couple of different pallets. Of course, you know, you got to have a pallet that can hold a weight of horse. So that means a, a rubber mat from a trailer on top of the pallet. It needs to be a sturdy pallet, those kind of things. But they've actually palleted it up enough that they took the weight off the door. Then they were able to pull the pins and take the door off. You know, totally depends upon the excitement level of the animal. So uh, don't start doing anything until you get a little chemistry on board to yeah. me. But uh, most barns like this one doesn't have the superstructure to be able to use a sling. It needs to be directly above the horse. You need to be able to lift a thousand pounds times four. Because when he struggles, it's a dynamic load, which is a lot more than 1,000 pounds of horse. Um, and it can be pretty awful to watch when they struggle. And then, of course, if they're on the sling, they can swing back and forth, and they can really hurt a person. So chemistry, I'm a big fan of chemistry. Okay, while we're talking about stalls, 
of course, you know, I'm the barn fire person, so I, I have to say something about the other problem with salt that's very dangerous. That is bad electrical. You know, all these things that people do to try to keep their horses cool and fans and all these things, and they're sticking it onto an extension cords attached to um, all these little electrical things. That's a no, 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 no. If you're going to have fans, they need to be the one on the left is a better quality fan, but it's still not a closed housing. You can tell by looking at it. You can see through the, the mechanism. Um, any fan needs to be cleaned regularly. Any fan, you don't want a, a open housing, but that's still a better quality fan than those cheapo um, box fans. The next one in the middle is a better quality fan. It is a uh, 507 compliant, UL 507 compliant fan. In other words, a closed housing. So nothing can get into the bearings like dust and dirt and all those kind of things. It doesn't mean that you don't need to clean your fans. You still need to clean your fans, but you can limit that problem. But what you notice there is they still have the fan plugged into an outlet. Um, and it's a grounded outlet and an outdoor outlet, so it's better, but it's still not great. And the one on the right is even better because it is literally hardwired into the electrical system. There's no chance for the horse to doodle with the, the wiring or for something to fall halfway out of the, of the ground plug or whatever. Um, that is the best. Closed housing um, and permanently connected to the electrical, hardwired. So take a look at that. Now, when you do those fans, you know, the one on the the good one's probably about seventy bucks. The one on the right is probably hundred and seventy bucks um, times ten stalls. That's a significant investment. But let me tell you, talk to your insurance company. If yeah. they know that you're getting ready to to uh, put in the the better set situation, they may be willing to kick back your um, insurance a little bit because we know that fans starts lots of barn fires. Somebody's asking if that's a bungee cord holding better in place. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> oh no, maybe it's a it's it's a bungee bungee cord on the good, and then it's a um, hay string on the one in the middle. Okay, you know, horse people, man, we just uh, uh Anyway, we want to go out and ride our horse. Damn it. <laughs> okay, so how do you make your stall safer? You know, thinking about and that goes back to the previous discussion we had about barn fires, having an escape plan for your stalls, having a facility evacuation plan for getting your horses from the facility to somewhere else, like uh, flooding or some other big disaster. You know, you got to think through those things and practice it because then you'll see the holes in your plan. Um, and then, of course, ask your veterinarian. They'll tell you the more turnout time you can get. And I know it's challenging, just like Wendy and I were talking about the grass this time of year, and it's been cool, and the sugars, and all this stuff. It's hard to manage, but when possible, increase that turnout time. Uh, update your electrical and fans. If you do nothing else, hire an electrician. If you have not uh, done something about your electrical in over 10 years, you need to hire an electrician. Come in, update your stuff. I promise you the code has changed. Um, and just because you turn on the lights and they work doesn't mean that that's an electrical inspection. <laughs> and then, of course, get your local fire department. Come walk through your barn. They'll take a look at some of the fire and safety hazards. And if they don't know, um, tell them, call me, and I will help them however I can, because I've got lots of resources that we can we can give to them. So I got two graphic slides. Okay, so those of you watch, don't watch the next two slides, and I'll tell you. You can just turn away, and I'll tell you when it's safe. Okay. All right. Don't padlock your stalls for any reason. There's no reason to padlock stalls. I know people are always balancing security versus um, all these things, but do not padlock your stalls. This is wildfire that came through California. They had padlocked these stalls to keep people from stealing horses. And even though people showed up to try to get these horses out of stalls, they didn't have the keys. They didn't get these horses out in time and they burned to death in their stall. This one is flooding, same thing. They didn't take their animals when the flooding was coming, when the disaster came, they said, oh, well, they'll figure it out. And what Dr. McConico that took these pictures found was she found struggle marks on the walls of the stalls where they had swum in the high water until they could they drowned. And that is awful. Absolutely awful. Okay, you guys that turned away, you turned back. So in review, this whole presentation has been about coming up with personal homework for you, looking at 
How do I come up with a pre-plan by talking to my local fire department, get an electrical inspection? What is my evacuation and shelter in place plan? Uh, some of the simple things, lead, load, and stand tied. Every single horse should know how to do those kind of things, and that will make a lot of your evacuation planning a lot simpler. Adding reflective to your horse trailer, making your driveway easier to access uh, from both perspectives. Find the dang thing with a reflective sign as well as put a gate at the road to try to keep the horses from going to the road. And then when the fire department actually gets there, how do they get down to your actual barn? Uh, do a monthly walk around your facility. Get somebody with new eyes to walk through your facility. In other words, somebody that either is an emergency responder or a fire department or something to walk around your facility and say, hey, you know, and they and you got to be open-minded to their suggestions. If you're just going to blow them off on whatever they say, then you'll never learn a thing. But let them tell you, maybe get an electrician to walk around. They may, they may look at awful things all the time. Cut up your bungees. Start putting in twine to your trailer and your cross ties, please. And then uh, take a look at your daily management. What are you doing as far as cleaning your barn fans, doing all those kind of things? It, most people I talk to, Wendy, they have known problems in their barn. And they go, yeah, I know. I should fix that. Ooh. So, yeah. you know, that comes down to you don't have to wait till January 1st to come up with a I'm going to fix it. You know, come up with a game plan. What can I fix? What can I afford? And when am I going to fix it by? Um, COVID has given a lot of people time at home to be able to do some of those little projects. I encourage you to do those kind of things. And if you need to get a hold of me, that's how you get a hold of me. So my cell phone, my email. And uh, we also have a Facebook study group where we've got a lot of people. Um, it's not a prayer group, it's a study group. So if you <laughs> put in your prayers, you'll get slammed. <laughs> anyway, all right, I know we got some questions. What do we got? Actually, I, I think we've pretty much answered them as, as you've gone along. Uh, the bungee okay. cord, that was a really, you know, it's funny, I had bungee cords a million years ago for my trailer and I didn't like them and I got rid of them, but I didn't know why I didn't like them. <laughs> instinctively yes it was like nope i don't want these and um uh, oh one of the things i was thinking of you know in some places they have to lock the paddocks because of theft um yes. and, which, and paddocks you know that's, that's that's a lot easier to get into i mean you can take out a board you can uh do some things under duress to be able to get an animal out uh i don't know how you solve that one that one's sort of tough but uh, it's the stalls that, you know, that enclosed space taking away the animal's ability to do anything for himself um, right. that I really have concerns about. And one of the things that you didn't mention on here, which uh, I was kind of surprised at, is the clips that you use to put your butter buckets on the wall. Okay, so let's, uh, hang on. I think I've got the pictures in here somewhere. What she's talking about. I may have trashed them. Oh, I took them out. Damn it. I had a bunch <laughs> right, of backup. Well, that was pictures. a fun one. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You know okay. what that is? The That's warning. A, there was no warning. <laughs> yeah. That that one is the um, horse backing off the trailer. I, I have hundreds of these. Hundreds. Okay. The, so anybody who's squeamish, you might want to close your eyes for a minute. Yeah. Y'all might want to close your eyes. That's a fencing injury, but it, they, they all heal. They all heal, you know? Anyway. So, um, yes, I have the the the... I had them and I said, I just don't have time to get through all of these things. So there you go. But uh, yes, the clips, anything that's on a bucket or a hook or those kind of things, I don't like them because a horse can catch it on his eyelid. He can catch, it's, it's amazing how many eyelid injuries horses end up with eye injuries. Uh, they catch their halter. And then of course, once their halter catches on the clip, they really panic and they jerk back. So um, there's, if you do a little Googling, you'll find some awful pictures of horses with clips. So bucket clips, I don't like, um, you know. What do you, what do you recommend? Twine, that's what I use. I use twine. You just attach the bucket with twine and to everyone, the- mm -hmm. And every once in a while, the damn bucket falls and I have to go get some more twine and that's just the way it is, you know. So then how do you clean your buckets? You just scrub them in place? Yeah, just scrub them in place. Okay. I don't have a fancy barn. That, no, <laughs> it's okay. I'm just, socks. you know, because that is one of the things that, you know, the, yeah. the, the struggle is the wanting the hygiene versus the safety. And so that's always a, that's a right. And, you know, that's where this comes in very useful cut that stupid string. You got string everywhere. Retie re the string. If you just got to take it down and do that. Um, I, I just, I've seen so many horrific pictures of 
all the different kinds. There's like five or six different quote safety clips for, for the, I don't think any of them are safe. I've seen pictures of each one of them that's hooked on something. Well, and that's, you know, halters and stalls, hooking on feed tubs and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so bottom line, can you put that previous slide up again so people can just look at it one more time, what they need to do is their homework? Oh, yeah. There we go. Yes, uh, Megan said something about don't lock yourself in a stall. With the, uh, yeah, leave a human escape route. I'm just not a big fan of going, you know, I even tell veterinarians, I prefer not to go in a stall with a horse. You are in what veterinarians are learning from the firefighters. Firefighters see a 10 by 10 stall as with a horse in it as being a confined space with an obstacle in it. And it's an obstacle that can panic and wear steel shoes on its feet. And uh, the if the horse falls on you, all those things. So we try to teach people, I'm really not a fan of going in a, in a confined space with a thousand pound animal that can explode at any point. You wouldn't do it with a bomb, so why are you doing it with a horse? <laughs> I mean, really, that's, that, that's uh, Jim Green over in the UK, that was his comment. He's like, basically you're going in there with a bomb, you wouldn't do it with a bomb, so why are you going in there with a horse? So I was yeah. like, perfect. That's a really good one. All right, and put up your, your slide where we can find you again. Okay. There you go. Oh, wait, there's another question I missed. Mm -mm. Okay. Uh, Thank you, okay. Breakaway ties in the trailer, okay? Question mark? Uh, absolutely. Breakaway ties. Now, you know, if the horse breaks away in the horse, in the trailer, that's because he, something was wrong. And so you may need to take a look at what, why is he breaking loose in the trailer? You know, um, the problem with a horse that breaks loose in a trailer is then he can reach over and bite his buddy or he can try to do something stupid and turn around. Uh, I actually have a friend's horse, a little Arabian, that was able to turn around inside one of those 1980s kind of trailers. Uh, he broke out, broke away and turned around and was actually facing out back of the trailer. And he was perfectly fine, but I was having a heart attack because I was behind him when I watched him do it. <laughs> it looked like a raccoon turn around inside his skin and all of a sudden standing there and he's like, hi. And I was like, you know, doing my lights saying, please stop, please stop, back when we didn't have cell phones. So right. um, it is true. If they bust loose, they can do dumb things. But the problem is if they're pinned inside the trailer, that's also a problem. So, so it, someone's you're asking, always balancing those things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, stall tie, she says, I prefer the snap at the halter and the slide snap on the rings. Would you recommend? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, you know, and I still, the slide snap, I, I like to have it up at the ring in the trailer, and I still like to have a piece of twine there because if the horse is panicking, I don't want to be putting my arm in there to try to pull that slide snap. That's the problem. You know, I want to be able to reach in there. I can cut that with my knife in a heartbeat, or I may even cut the rope. I don't like cutting my ropes. Yes, breakaway trailer ties. There's several, Jamal and several other ones that have Velcro breakaway trailer ties. Those are much safer than bungees all day. Yes, Dana, you're correct. So the bottom line is cut up those bungees and find another solution. Yep. Great. All right, just unshare your screen. We'll wrap this up. Okay. Uh, once again, a, an incredibly informative and valuable webinar for any horse person. Um, you know, I just love talking to you because it's just no nonsense facts. <laughs> And a lot of cussing. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. You know, that most people have never come across some of the horrific scenes that you've seen, you know, on a daily or weekly basis. And we don't want to. That's kind of the point. But the I way you don't is by being prepared, by looking around and having that fresh eyes, as you said, and really just taking an action. And, you know, one of the things that, like you said, you know, when people go, oh, I know about, I know that, but I haven't done it. You got to write it down, make a plan, set a date, get it done. You do. You absolutely do. Or else it'll just escape. And, uh, you know, thankfully for COVID, you know, I had those nice gate latches on like four of my gates, but my other eight gates, I didn't have them. And when COVID came, I was like, all right, I'm getting on Amazon. I bought the dang things. And me and my husband would go out at lunch every single day and put in a different gate latch. And now I go around my property. I'm like, it's like Zen. Yay. <laughs> the gate closes. You know, everything went great until I had that mule at my place. And she put her head into the gate and just broke the gate post. Now that you can't do anything about. 
Oh, Lord. That was a, a an eye-opening experience. And what's really funny is after three days, she didn't want to leave anymore. But the first three days, mm, no, she I, wasn't, out. I wasn't sure I was going to keep her home. <laughs> yeah. So so type in the name of the gate latches you're using now. because that It's called a Sure Latch. Sure it's, S-U-R-E. Uh, yeah. Type in Sure Latch. S-U-R-E Latch. Sure. Uh, they come in multiple colors. Yes. They come in different colors. But uh, one's for... A swing gate, so you can go in both ways, and one's for just one way. Yeah, and I've seen those around. Um, yeah. And they're not—they're not two bucks, you know. Um, the the little chain ones that have the where you can do it by one hand—that's great. But horses figure those out too. Fortunately, my horses haven't. <laughs> Megan, yes, I am back to doing some in-person training, so uh, I need to update my website. I haven't done that, but yeah, I know Oregon that. in November—it's going to be one of the first ones, so. Great. Hopefully, uh, we'll be able to pull that one off. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me. Please let me know if you have another topic you want to talk about, because I'm always happy to have you come back. It's of course. such a pleasure. Of course. Thank you very much, Wendy. All you right. Guys have Thanks, day. everybody, for joining us. Just remember that I'm going to make a playlist of all Rebecca's webinars, so you can find it quickly and easily on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. And uh, we'll see you on Thursday. We're going to do case studies with uh, Kim Bauer and looking at temperament types. So that should be fun. We're going to have three case studies that she's going to go through. So awesome. Awesome. Thank okay. you, Rebecca. Everybody have a great day. Thank Bye. you. Bye.